Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. When uh, a year or so ago, uh, Grant and I started getting together for lunch, and he would say, okay, tell me how this pastor thing works. And so we, you know, there's just so many topics related to church ministry. And Grant says, uh, you've probably made a few mistakes, so can you help me avoid them? And I said, I'll do my best. So I said to him, you know, there's 13 weeks in a quarter. How many of those do you think you plan on preaching? He said, well, I was just planning on 13. I said, well, you're probably not going to do this very, very long at that rate. And so I said, it is good to mix it up because uh, for Grant, who works a full-time job, for anybody to preach uh, 13 weeks in a row, 52 weeks in a row, is, uh, is a lot. So I like to uh, come in and help out as best I can. So I asked Grant what our series was going to focus on in the coming weeks, and he said the kingdom of God, which is one of my favorite topics. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Rick, and Sherry is right there. There's Sherry, my better half there. And we've been uh, at this a lot of years. Uh, it was interesting, last night they had a Marriage Mattered night at uh, Grant and Sarah's, and they passed out this sheet of like 20 questions that you should know about your spouse. And I thought, man, I'm going to have to get better at this. There were a number of things that I, so I asked Sherry this week in preparation for this marriage, I said, so why did you marry this guy again? We got married too young when we were in college. And so I do know this about Sherry, she likes adventure. And so I think she decided to marry me because she thought there might be some adventure in that. And that's generally been true. And so we've had an adventurous uh, 40 years together in our, um, in our lives. We met about 40 years ago, got married about 39 and a half years ago. Is that right? And so we've had uh, a lot of fun. So when we, when we um, Think about adventure. We're going to talk a little bit about the adventure of our lives and how that actually interfaces with the kingdom of God. But when I was thinking about the kingdom of God, and Sherry and I go to uh, Planet Fitness each night to do some work out there, and I stand on a treadmill there. I was last night, and there's about 20 screens up there. How many of these things are actually? Maybe 14? It's, it's, uh, it looks like a, a long ways, one TV after another. So when you look up there, Whatever political view you have, it's on a screen up there somewhere. And I was struck as I've been there, as I go there each day, when you think about the kingdom of God and we think about citizenship, there's been some fairly uh, controversial conversations about uh, citizenship. And as I was preparing for this message on the kingdom of God, on Friday at Trevecca University here in town where I teach a business, we had a faculty meeting and they wanted to talk about citizenship. Because Trevecca uh, enrolls lots of different kinds of students. And they wanted to make sure that we understand all the different kinds of status a student might have. And so let's just see if we can go through this briefly. And so when you are born in the U.S., you are a, you're a U.S. citizen. And so sometimes this is called a natural-born citizen. So we, we know America is probably filled with lots of natural-born citizens. And so we know what that is. If you're not a citizen, and in fact, I went on the website, it says citizen, yes, no. If you're not a citizen, you are a technical term. You are an alien. 
And the person who made the presentation uh, thought that that was a li- had a little bit of an outer space feel to it. But that's how the U.S. So she, her job on Friday in the first half of the presentation was to describe um, uh, the status of citizens and, and aliens. And, there, and, and there's, only, there's only two. And so as I went through that, I thought, wow, this is good to know. I'm not sure I know all these details. Because when we think about the kingdom of God, it relates to our citizenship. So I decided today, if you don't have an American passport on you, I would pass them out. So I went in our stash of passports, and I said, Sherry, where's your recent passport? She says, I keep it in a safer place. So I I reached in these out of the box of our old passports. And uh, I have my current passport, which I need next month. Um, and And I went through immigration recently in some country, and the guy says, uh, you go to a lot of places. And I said, why do you say that? He says, your passport is so thick because I had to have extra pa- pages added uh, last year because I'd used all the pages for all the, uh, for all the countries. So what I want you to do is I want to talk a little bit about citizenship, and I'm going to just uh, pass these out. These, these will be a little bit of fun. For one, you can see me. I think one of these is my passport from 1986. Uh, so I look a little bit like a 70s college guy back in those days. And, um, and then there's some cute passport pictures of our kids. Anyway, these are all expired. I'd like to get them all back because they do have quite a bit of value on the, on the mark, gray market. And so anyway, <laughs> I, will, uh, uh, I will put some over here and put some over here as we think about citizenship. As we think about citizenship. Now, when you... When you read in the scriptures and you look at the scriptures, how does it describe us? It describes us as, anything come to mind? How are we, how is our citizenship described in the New Testament? Are we uh, citizens or are we aliens? We are aliens. Okay, so let me see if I can, and, and let me just give you a little bit of a head start on this. So most of you know Paul, and in, um, in Acts, Paul the apostle is traveling around in uh, Central Asia, and he has this interchange in Acts 22. You don't have to turn to it. The centurion, so what was his citizenship? Roman, a Roman centurion. The centurion says this, and he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and says, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, Paul answered. The commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. Paul says, I was born a citizen. See the difference there? How you have acquired citizenship and natural born citizenship. And so they said this. Those who are about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. So you see there how this, you have this idea that Paul was a uh, natural-born Roman citizen, although he was ethnically Jewish. So when we, th- when we, uh, when we think about that. When, I, when, we, when you pass those passports around, are they headed back that way a little bit? Um, there's lots of countries in there. And as you think about Sherry and I's adventurous life, we got married uh, when we were in college, which is not advisable. We had a child a year later. That was less advisable. But anyway, it was what it was. And over the first 15 years of our life, we moved to another, we, we lived in, a, we moved to another country six times. So let's see if I can go through this quick. 
So we got married and we lived in the U.S. And then we moved to Canada. Lived there for a while. Then we moved back to the U.S. Uh, then we moved to China. Lived there for a while. Then we moved to Taiwan. Lived there for a while. Moved back to China. Lived there for a while. And moved back to the U.S. And, well, we're back here. And so we kind of got used to the idea of what it meant to be an alien, and we had our passport stamped time and time again, and so you kind of get used to the drill. In other words, you're living in different parts of the world, and they say, and where are you from? What is your citizenship? And so we had that as a part of our adventure, particularly in the early years of our our married life. We collected... um, uh, I collected uh, four college degrees along the way. We collected three children along the way, collected lots of passport stamps along the way. So we certainly fulfilled Sherry's interest in living an adventurous life as we, uh, as we did what uh, she says, following Jesus and Rick is a great adventure, a great adventure. So let's think a little bit about this then for a moment. Let me read to you some of these scriptures. This is from Ephesians 2. Therefore, you formerly who are Gentiles. Are there anybody who's Jewish in the crowd here today? Anybody who's Jewish? No, nobody who's Jewish. So we're all Gentiles. In other words, it's, it's interesting that in the Jewish world, you were Jewish or not Jewish. You were Jewish or Gentile. In Chinese, if you know Chinese, you're either Chinese or a foreigner. No matter where you live or where you are, you're Chinese or a foreigner. And so I was speaking at a Chinese church in Los Angeles some years ago, and I was listening to uh, some ladies, and they said, oh, we have a foreigner speaking today. And I understood what she said in Chinese, because I understand Chinese. And I said, I live here. I'm an American. I'm not a foreigner. She said, you're all foreigners. You're either Chinese or foreigners. And so here it says, therefore, remember that you are formerly Gentiles. Remember, at that time, you are separated from Christ excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Is that right? There's only three times citizenship's mentioned. This is one of them. Were we part of the people of God of Israel? We were not. We were not citizens of Israel. It says here, excluded from citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. So think about this. So when we think about the scope of history, who were the chosen people? Was that us? No, that was not. We were excluded. There was God and the people and the rest of the world, and we were not part of that world. We were foreigners, it says here in in Ephesians 2.12. Not only it says we are foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Pretty dire place to be. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Consequently, now think about that. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens. And I just thought of that. You know how they have those ceremonies? You go, you, you, you come in. Now, you have to remember, you're either a citizen or an alien. There's two kind of aliens. Sharon and I have been an alien many times. An alien is, if you look in, in some of those passports, you'll see a visa, and it'll say how long it's good for. And so you have to leave before it's up. And so when you come in as an alien, you're short-term, you get a visa. It would be like being a foreign student in the U.S. And um, so you have that. Now, you can be a long-term foreign alien called a permanent resident, and then you secure what's known as a green card, 
which means you're a permanent alien, but you're a permanent resident. You can get here, you can stay here, and you can probably even work. But sometimes people will say they will, they will be in a room maybe this size, you know, have a citizenship class, and then you'll be a naturalized citizen, not a natural-born citizen, a naturalized citizen, and they will say, when this started, you were outside citizenship, but now you are citizens. And so we read this in Ephesians 2. Consequently, you and I are no longer foreigners and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So we are now the people of God, and that's an incredible status. Now, let me go forward to another book, Hebrews. Hebrews 11, sometimes maybe known as what? Faith chapter, talks about faith. Let me read to you Hebrews 11.1. It'll be familiar to some of you. Now, being sure of what we have hoped for and certain of what, God, of what we do not see, this is what the ancients were commended for. So the faith chapter says, we are the people of God, and we look back to these great heroes of the faith, and it says this. This is what the ancients were, com- uh, were uh, commended for. Let me go to verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. In other words, these were people of faith, and they passed through this world with a hope of a future. They were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own, a country of their own. And uh, there are some people groups around the world, the Hmong people in northern Thailand. These are people who have citizenship in no countries. But it says that aliens are people looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking for a country they had left, they would have the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That really describes us. So let's think about citizenship for a moment, and I certainly appreciate my U.S. passport and the citizenship that I have. But really, when I began to travel more and I began to think about this from a Christian perspective and read the scriptures, I realized that on this earth, we are aliens. And what you have when you say an alien is someone who has a citizenship in another country. And that's how the U.S. government decides it. In other words, when you're an alien in the U.S., it means you have a citizenship in another country. So as believers, we are sometimes called aliens and strangers in this world. And we are preparing for a better country. Now, you might say, um, some people might say, but America's the best country on earth. And I would say, sure, you can say that. But the best country on earth is still a little bit shy of heaven. And so you can be from any country on this earth, a great country, a poor country, a crummy country. But as a believer, we look forward in, a, in, in Hebrews 11 to being citizens of a better country. And it says, I read that last verse, it says, um, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. When you walk up to the immigration desk, they'll say, um, what where are you a citizen from? And I'll say, I'm a citizen of the U.S. And they'll say, okay. And so they process. Or sometimes when you come to the airport, they'll say, 
U.S. citizens go here. And, and when I go to any, any country, they'll say, local nationals go in these rows. And, and if you're a foreign alien, you go in those. And sometimes I've just thought, you know, I don't think those people think things are very funny. So I try not to be funny in the immigration line because I don't think they, that would go very well. I'd probably end up in that room over on the side with the glass windows. But sometimes I want to say, and where are you a citizen? I'm a citizen in heaven. I'm just passing through the earth for a few years. Pretty soon my visa is going to be up and I'm going to leave this country and I'm going to go to, uh, to heaven. And so I wanted you to think a little bit about that. And so as you think about uh, your citizenship, you might say, wow, I'm glad to be an American, carry an American passport. That's great. Um, how many of you have had a chance to be in a country outside the U.S.? Okay, wow, almost most of you. Well, what, our first country that we lived for three years outside the U.S. was in Canada. Now, you think that Canada and the U.S. are pretty similar, right? I still remember I was, I was in my work, Carol, one day, and a person came by and said, Rick, your president just got shot. And this was when President Reagan was shot. He wasn't killed, fortunately, but he was shot. And I still remember the instant in my mind was, he's the president. And I thought, I'm in a foreign country. He's only the president of that country. He's not the president of the world. And as I began to live in Canada, I began to realize that there's different customs and there's different language. And it reminds us that we are um, passing through this world. So, for example, when I was a faculty member in the North, people called me Dr. Mann if they were more formal, or they called me Rick if they were less formal. But um, I've had to take on a new title now that I live in the South. And somebody called me, almost every day I get this, and it still catches me up each time. And people call me what? Any guess? They don't call me Rick. They don't call me Dr. Mann. They call me Dr. Rick. Rick, never, never put those two words together. And I hear it almost every day. I got an email yesterday. Dr. Rick had a question about the class. What about this homework assignment? And I said, there it is again. And I would say, these different, uh, these different cultures and countries and locales have different cultures. So Sherry and I were first introduced to that when we lived in Canada. Our second son was born there. So he came, we came back to the States where I did some graduate school. Then we were off to China. We lived in China and Taiwan. And I thought, you know, we've lived in these countries for a few years. Canada and the U.S. have a unique relationship, as does Taiwan and China. And I thought about this from a Christian point of view. Now, um, does, the, does the U.S. government support the, the U.S. church? They don't. There's a separation of church and state. Well, so it's interesting when you move to Canada, they don't have that idea. The, the school that I graduated from in Canada gets government funding. Why? Because they're a school. And the fact that it's a religious school doesn't matter because there's no separation of church and state in Canada or the UK or in, or in Ireland and some of those, those, those schools with the Commonwealth tradition. So, but it's interesting. The U.S. is more Christian. Canada is more secular. Um, the U.S. has more regulations against church stuff. Canada has less. See that odd mix there? So then we lived in China and Taiwan. It's an interesting mix. First of all, they both think they're China, which is a little bit hard to get your head around. And so uh, when we lived in Taiwan, it was the first time in 40 years where people from both countries could visit each other in 40 years after the, uh, 
Mao, the communists, the revolution, all those kind of things. So here's what was also interesting. Uh, how's the Chinese government feel about the church? Not great. How's the church doing? Great. How's the church and how's the, how's the government in Taiwan feel about the church? Fine. How's the church doing? Bad. So Taiwan has all the demo, de- democratic freedoms, uh, churches, missionaries, all those kind of things. There's very few churches. They're very small. They're very weak. You go to China, it's all against the law, it's all persecuted, it's all um, a little bit clandestine, and there's 100 million uh, Christians in China. And so you get this odd mix that we've been able to see, a reminder of what does it mean to be a citizen of a culture and a kingdom? Okay, so the topic of today's sermon is the kingdom of God. So let's talk a little bit about the kingdom of God. First of all, just to get a couple things out of the way. Uh, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's really the same idea. It's like Dr. Rick or Dr. Man or Rick or whatever you want to call me. It's like those kind of things. So king, king, kingdom of heaven, it's just kind of, there's a little bit of symmetry there if I can find it in my notes here. The, yeah. Uh, kingdom of God is mentioned 32 times in Luke. And we're going to be looking at Luke 7, 8, and 9 today. Luke is uh, 32 times, talks about the kingdom of God. Matthew, which is the more Jewish of the Gospels, 32 times talks about the kingdom of heaven. So we use those. It's used a lot. So I used to think of this when I was first introduced to the vineyard. What's the big deal? Jesus. Jesus is the big deal across all the scriptures. And what's his message? The kingdom of God. So really, there's only two things we need to know well. So when you leave this service today, you'll know all that you really need to know. The big deal in the Bible is? And his message is? Kingdom of God. You've got that. Now, the kingdom of God is a little bit of a mystical concept. And so there's lots of passages on that. For example, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like seeds. The kingdom of God is like weeds. The kingdom of God is like growth. The kingdom of God is like hidden treasures. The kingdom of God is like nets. The kingdom of God is like fish. It's uh, many aspects of that. Now, the most important uh, person in the Bible is? His message is, and his prayer is, the Lord's prayers. So let's just, let's just think about that for a moment. It starts off with, our Father who art in heaven, and then it goes, okay, so he says, uh, uh, so we have our Father in heaven. The first thing we do is worship. What did we start off tonight? Where's Barry? Worship. Thanks, Barry. We're going to have more? And when you think about the Lord's Prayer, it starts off with the two big deals. It says this, why don't we worship the God and Father of the universe? Good place to start? Good. Second thing, what do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So think about this. The kingdom of God is, um, is really nothing more than the invasion of heaven into this earth. So when, when Jesus came and says, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is near you, the kingdom of God is amongst, is amongst you, the kingdom of God is within you, it even says there. And so what we had was when Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom of God with his presence and his power. Is it fully here yet? No, we like to say it's already here, but not fully here yet, fully here yet. So when Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. And you think about, um, and and, uh, I know this is always uh, um, 
uh, uh, scary and political times like we have. But when you think of to say when any um, leader is inaugurated, it's the beginning of a new chapter. And everybody's talking to say, wow, when, uh, when we had the first African-American president inaugurated, we thought, wow, wonder what that's going to be like. Never done that again. Never, we've, never, we've never done that before. <laughs> we will probably do that again someday. Maybe not with him. So when each president comes in, we say, I wonder what that's going to be like. So what have we been talking about for the last two weeks? Well, uh, Trump's the president-elect. I wonder what that's going to be like. So those leaders have influence on that world. So when Jesus came and inaugurated in the kingdom, it wasn't fully president. It wasn't fully president. And when he, when he went around doing ministry, we saw an increased presence of the kingdom, if you will. When is the, when is the kingdom going to be fully realized? Right, when we see the second return of Christ. And it's called this period between his first coming and his second coming, sometimes called a church age, when the kingdom is, is already here but not fully here. And there will be a day when it comes when the kingdom will be fully here. There'll be no more, no more what? Sorrow. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more despair. All those things of this world will pass away. As we, as we think about that. So we have that in mind. So when we think about the, the, uh, the kingdom of God, we recognize that Jesus is our message. And Jesus is our person. Jesus in the kingdom of God is his message when you think about that. So what I'd like to do is uh, transition a little bit. We've talked about citizenship. We've talked about Jesus as a big deal across the sweep of scriptures. We've talked about the pervasive message, and we could spend the next uh, three weeks uh, talking about the details of the kingdom of God. But I, wanna, I want to um, uh, talk a little bit about the central strategy that Jesus has. I teach uh, business strategy, and so I thought, you know, it'd be really good to just look and say, what was, what was, the, what was the starting point of the strategy of redemption for God? It was Jesus. And then when you think about it, when you say, okay, so the first thing we saw was the incarnation, Christmas. Um, who is it? It's a Morgan. Yes, I learned a little bit about Morgan last night on Marriage Matters. And um, Andrew, when did you say that, uh, that Morgan starts thinking about Christmas? There you go. <laughs> and did you say, Morgan, you have three seasons? The first one is? The rest of the year, the next one is fall, and the next one is Christmas. Okay, so Morgan's a Christmas girl. She, uh, she likes that. And when you think about it, we say the first aspect of God's strategy to bring redemption to the world was the incarnation. And you think about how Jesus could have never died. He could still be roaming the streets and the paths of this world proclaiming that, but it, it didn't. He went to heaven. And so the strategy that we look at as far as taking the, the kingdom of God to the world is really found in three simple sections. And if you have a Bible, you can look at that, or you can look on your phone. And we're going to look at Luke um, 8.1, 9.1, Okay, what's the first passage? Second passage? Third passage? All right, the whole strategy of how God is going to reach the world. And it involves you and me, so don't, uh, don't lose heart in that. As you think about that. All right, you can look at that or the, um, in these Bibles. Uh, Grant, I said, Grant, how do you find anything in this Bible? 
He said, just look at the bottom, Rick. And so if you look at page 19 in these Bibles, they have it as well, uh, 19. And the, yeah, page 19, lower right, last paragraph. In fact, I'll read it right out of here. It said this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Let me just pause there. All right, so who's the essential figure? Jesus, right, the answer to every third grade question in church. Jesus, all right. And uh, who is this second group? There was Jesus and the, the 12. Now, when you look at the 12 here, capitalized or lowercase? When you look at this version, it's the capital T, the, and the capital T, 12. These were the 12. And uh, there were some other, uh, some other uh, folks tagging along as well, which we'll get to in just a moment. But when you look at this, you have Jesus and the 12. And three things happened in the verses I just read. Let me read it again and see if you can pick up. What were the three things that were, uh, were, were happening here? Proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's number one. And some women were with him who are cured of evil spirits. That's two. And diseases. That's three. So the first was what? Proclaim the kingdom of God. The second was? Cured of evil spirits. And the third was? Diseases. So what Jesus did is he came bringing the kingdom of God, proclaiming. He released people from the powers of darkness. And he, um, he uh, brought a physical healing to folks. Make sense? I don't think that's overly surprising when you think about that. So we have, uh, we have this pattern, Jesus, some others. In this case, you might say, wow, this is really a pretty elite group. And Sherry and I went to a concert at the Bridgestone on Friday, first time we've done that since we've been in Nashville. And a friend of mine gave me some tickets. I said, will I see you there? He said, no, I have VIP tickets. We'll be backstage. And I thought, um, oh, we'll be sitting out with the other. I said, how many does this hold? I've never been there. He said, about 20,000. I said, I'll be out there with the rest of my 20,000 new friends. And uh, so we were not the VIPs. We were not the capital T. We were not the 12. Who were the 12? They were the disciples. Sometimes we think of them as the apostles. Whatever they were, they were capital T twice, the 12. All right. Let's go forward then to the next verse, if you have that, which is what? 9-1, Luke 9-1. All right, get this in, this Bible has verses and chapters and references here. All right, so who's the uh, big deal in the Bible? Jesus. What's his uh, central message? Proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Proclaim the kingdom of God, either one. All right, let's look at 9.1. This is from the NIV. When Jesus had called the 12 together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. All right. So who's the central figure here? The other group is? The 12. We see a pattern here. Jesus and the capital T, 12. And what three things did he mention? Right? Right? There you go. And who did it? We see a change here. Now, think about this. Now, where else in the Bible 
can you think of an occurrence where, where they were doing something and, and, and the disciple said, uh, man, maybe there's a need here. And Jesus says, you do it. Can you think of another instance? Feeding the 5,000, that's it. It's so, it's so. So they come to him and said, hey, Jesus, we're here. There's no Chipotle. There's no uh, McDonald's. There's no whatever you like to eat, those kind of things. And he says, what are we going to do? And he says to them, you feed them. Power phrase. I think that after a while, they might have said, I hate it when he does that. And um, I was in Thailand uh, last month and doing some leadership development training. And we, we, we reached into the toolbox of a, uh, a, a Russian educator from a hundred years ago, and he invented what's called ZPD, the zone of proximal development. And the educational theory with that says is the zone is where you're somewhat stressed, but not totally overwhelmed. Somewhat stressed, but not totally overwhelmed. That's when you learn the most. That's called the zone. And Jesus had a remarkable ability to consistently keeping the disciples in the zone. And one thing that Grant and I want to work very hard at is to keep all of you in the zone, where you're a little bit stretched, a little bit stressed, but not overwhelmed. And so what we want, it, we want that, that's really our role. One of our roles would be to help you keep you in the zone. We have a, we have a when we have to do a leadership training or ministry training, those kind of things, the idea would be to say, can we stretch you a little bit without overwhelming you? And Jesus did that repeatedly. So in, in 8-1, who, who did the threefold ministry? In the 9-1, who did it? Okay, you might say, great. It's Jesus and the 12, the big deals, the heroes, the remarkable folks, those kind of things. Where are we going next? 10-1. Let's go to 10-1. Luke 10-1. All right. Okay, here we go. That's Mark. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke. 10. Here we go. After this, Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead to every town and place where he uh, was about to go. And he told them, okay, so we're already to verse two. And you're saying, Rick, I don't think this works. But let's just pause before we get a little bit farther into the app past the first verse. Okay, who's the main figure? Jesus. So we see a pattern here. And who is the other group? Capital 70? Lowercase, lowercase. I call these the normal people. These are the lowercase 72. They weren't Jesus and they weren't the 12. They were the 72. And, uh, and so we read, that, we read that there. And what did, he, what did he appoint them to do? Yes. There, to, 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 keep, to keep the dream alive, if you will. Now, um, I didn't pick this up, but before we leave this, in Luke 9, um, how did he send out the 12? He gave them, yeah, and, and, and then what did he give to them? He gave them authority, right? Go in Jesus' name. And so that's how we see that pattern established. All right, let's go on to verse two. He told them, can we just pause for a minute and pray? Have you ever done that before? Like, we're going to do something and we're going to do some ministry. Can we just pause and pray before we launch out? It says this, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, um, how many places in the New Testament Jesus does Jesus say, pray this way? Okay, Sherry, can you think, can you name some? Lord's Prayer. Any others? This one? Can you, can you think of any others? It's not a long list. It's not a long list. Maybe you could think of it on one hand. But here's what's interesting as we talk about this today. If I said, okay, Jesus is a big deal. Kingdom of God's the message. Uh, the, the most central prayer is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those kinds of things. Uh, it's pretty simple. Pretty simple and straightforward. Here, it's, he says, we're sending the 72. Was it enough? It wasn't enough. That's the point. Because I think some of them might have thought, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. I'm like part of the 72. I'm not like one of those frontline 12 guys. I'm just part of the 72. And Jesus says, just to make a point. So if I might say to Josh, Josh, we've got some ministry leadership we'd like you to give. You ready for that? I don't know. OK, be a little stretching. All right, a little stretching. But if we said, and we not only want you to do this, but we want you and five others to do this. In other words, to say, this is Jesus' strategy to reach the world. The 12, the 72, and then more. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest field. Okay, got that. All right, let me, uh, let me see if this print's a little small here. Okay. Uh, let's look at, uh, let's look down at verse eight of chapter 10. When you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what is set before you. What's that? What's it say next? Heal the sick there and tell them what? The kingdom of God is near you. All right. So who's the central figure in, in verse, in this chapter 10? Uh, nope. We start with, we start with Jesus and the other, the other group is? The 72. So we had Jesus and the 12 watched in eight. In nine, we had uh, the 12 went and did the ministry. Jesus watched. Here we said, let's get 72. Oh, no, by the way, let's pray for even more. When, and he went out and, sent, and they did two things. What did they do? Heal sick and... Right. Okay. So I'm coming up a little short in my symmetry here. Let me, uh, let me see if I can help with that. All right. Let's do this. Let's look down at verse 17. I think this closes the loop. In verse 17 of chapter 10, we read, the 72 returned with joy. Now, if you were kind of a third string player, if we want to use a football or basketball analogy, when might you, why might you be excited? You get to play. In fact, Grant came up and said, what are you talking about tonight? I said, Grant, I, always, I say the same thing every time. I know, on the team and in the game. And there was a story this weekend. Did any of you follow the story about South Carolina State football? Any of you uh, 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 cryptic uh, football fans there? Anyway, it was a story about a 55-year-old guy who played this weekend for South Carolina State. And it's kind of the, the story of his journey on those kind of things. But here's what you want to do. When I was in seventh grade, my dad said uh, I needed to play basketball. I said, no, I want to be on the wrestling team. He said, no, you need to be on the basketball team. I said, why is that? He says, because you're really athletic. I said, well, good, then I can be on the wrestling team. He said, no, you need to be on the basketball team. 
I said, why? He says, because I was on the basketball team. So I was on the seventh grade basketball team, and we played the entire season, and I sat on the bench the entire season. I think it was the last game I played 30 seconds. And that was in, in eighth grade, I was on the wrestling team. <laughs> and so when you think about that, to say, I want to be on the team and in the game, and we see it that they return in verse 17 with joy. And they said, what did they say? Lord, even the demons are submit to us in your name. That really closes the loop there. So let's think about this. Central figure is? And in some other group, small group? No. Small group, large group, larger group, a really large group doing three things. They are healing the sick, casting out demons, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so I would say, if you're not real sophisticated and you don't know all the scriptures, just do those three things. Just do those three things as you think about that. And so um, as we kind of close our, 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 our concepts of this, I want you to think about your own role and ask yourself, how much confidence, um, how many of you would say, uh, I feel pretty confident in, in ministry roles? Can you raise your hand? Okay, so we see some hands there. It's not the majority of you. How many of you say, I don't feel very confident in this stuff? Do we have some hands there? All right, we see some hands there. And um, so you might say, this is kind of new for me, this pastoring thing. <laughs> he was the first to raise his hand. And so those kinds. Here's the thing I want to I emphasize as we look through the scriptures. Jesus was in the business of mobilizing people to go and, and share the kingdom of God. And let's just think a little bit about how, how we can share that. Uh, sometimes you'll, Sherry and I, will, when we're going to a place, we'll say, Lord, may we sense your kingdom presence here. Why? Because we're here. In other words, Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And so you can give that this thought. And uh, I think maybe this says it well in Romans 14. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what we want to do today and forevermore, sounds like a song, is we want to pray for you, stand with you, stretch you, so that you, as you go out and about, even this Thanksgiving week, you might uh, just literally take the presence of the kingdom of God with you. Now, is in our day, are there people who struggle with the influence of darkness on the world? And what do we want them to do? We want them to be set free. Are there people in our world that uh, have ailments? Sure. So we can pray for people they might experience. What did I read right here in Romans 14? They might experience the peace and joy and righteousness of the kingdom of God in the Holy Spirit. So they might experience that. So we might extend the kingdom of God in our midst. That we might pray for people, that they might be um, uh, experience a freedom from darkness uh, that presses in against us. And sometimes you'll hear, you'll hear people say, wow, these feel like they're dark days. Well, it is. The, king, the, the power of this world is the power of darkness. It presses in against our soul, our relationships, our marriages, our children. And so we want to pray that we might find freedom in, um, in, uh, in Jesus. And that we also might pray for people for physical healing. So if there's uh, three things that we can do and have confidence that Jesus is commissioning, authorizing, and authenticating his ministries, what are the three things? 
Claim the kingdom of God, heal the sick, deliver people from darkness, and those, those three things. I was talking from a missionary one day and when I was living in Minnesota who was in, in ministry in Latin America. I said, so tell me a little bit about how does it work? He says, well, we have, we have uh, large, large meetings and we have three tents. I said, so how does it work? He says, we have large meetings and then we have three tents. He says, we have the gospel tent where people pray to find new life in Christ. We have the deliverance tent where people find freedom from darkness. And we have the healing tent. And I said, do you do that very often? He says, every time. And I thought, well, you do see that pattern in the scriptures. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have Barry and the team come up and lead us in uh, some worship here. And as that begins to wrap up, I'll come back up here. And what I want to do particularly is we want to invite uh, some of you to come up, and we're not going to take a real long on it, but we really want to prayer, pray a prayer of commissioning. We want to say to, to any of all of us, we want to say, Lord, uh, give us your anointing. Give us your confidence. Give us your courage that we might be, remember the zone of proximal development is uh, being a little bit stressed, a little bit stretched without being overwhelmed. And that's really where we, we want to make sure you're at. And so we want to be understand the central person of Scripture is Jesus, central message of the New Testament, the kingdom of God, and then the strategy he had to really reach the world. And so when you think about your citizenship to say, we are first and foremost citizens of the king. We do carry a passport for whatever countries we're citizens of, but that's a really a secondary piece for us as believers. We're looking for to a better country as we read in Hebrews 11. So we will uh, turn that over to these folks, and I will circle back. Are all the passports back there? <laughs> I, can, uh, I can collect those. And then, uh, Barry, you want to lead us into the promised land? Absolutely. Okay. For all upcoming events, for more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.